0: Many of us put a lot on the line for the sake of adventure. And for writer and scientist John Turk, the decision to paddle a kayak across the Pacific Ocean from Asia to North America was in keeping with the tradition of discovery as old as humanity itself.
1: You look for an audacious and bold plan that's still feasible. You look to be vulnerable and at the same time secure. And at that time, which was about 10 years ago now, Nobody had successfully crossed the Pacific Ocean in a standard production off-the-shelf kayak, and I looked at a map and I said, you know, you could do it, there's a route, there's a line, and once I saw the line, I couldn't get it out of my mind, and, and that's what we did.
0: John Turk had a dream to paddle 3,000 miles across the vast ocean, but he would later realize that he was actually tracing a migratory route he believes was followed by ancient humans thousands of years ago. And it kind of makes you wonder why anyone, today or way back when, would ever even do such a thing.
1: We all agree that migration is difficult. It's difficult to... Get in a canoe, leave your homeland with deer in the forest and seals in the bay, with salmon in the streams, and paddle 3,000 miles across the Arctic in the middle of the ice ages. We agree that's difficult. So the anthropologist will tell you because we're a pragmatic people, the only reason we would do something that difficult is if we were forced out of our homeland by warfare or starvation or lured into new more productive hunting grounds by a more productive place. In other words, it was beaten up, famished, people who have just lost a war, escaping for their lives. I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that on two on two grounds. First of all, it's such a hard trip that if you started out beaten up, weakened, famished, losing most of your warriors in the battle, you're going to die, first of all. Second of all, I think that the hardest and most audacious journeys are following dreams, not pragmatic reasons. Pragmatism will get you so far, but the dream will get you farther.
0: So following his dream. John Turk ventured out across the ocean, and along the way, he discovered a few interesting ideas about the very nature of adventure. And in his book, The Raven's Gift, he explores the power of risk and vulnerability as a way for travelers to experience magic. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project.
2: Throughout the course of your expedition, you met a woman, a village elder by the name of Mulanat. That's correct, James.
0: So what was
2: that encounter like, and and what did you learn from her?
1: Well, (laughs) we have to start from before we met her. We're paddling along, and this sudden storm comes up as we're abreast of this village of Vivenka, and it's howling and wind and rain, so we come into the village, and we meet this woman on the beach, and she says, Welcome we're glad to see you. We were expecting you. The grandmother caused the storm to bring you to the village. She wants to talk to you. Yeah. So what does that mean? So we went and talked to the grandmother. And the grandmother, you have to understand, she was born during the reign of Tsar Nicholas II. She remembers the Bolshevik Revolution. She lived through the entire rise and fall of the Soviet Empire. And so now I expected if she, you know, roiled up the heavens and caused this storm to bring me, she would have something to say to me. But she didn't really have that much to say. Talking wasn't the main means of communication around here. And the only thing that she did say of, of importance was, come back. It will be good for you, and it will be good for us if you do. At that moment, I changed my life. I dropped everything in my life for the next five years to come back repeatedly and talk to the grandmother. So was it good for you and was it good for her people? <laughs> I don't know. I hope it's good for her people. It was definitely good for me because it became life-changing in the way that I outlined in The Raven's Gift.
2: Now, you suffered a, a pretty traumatic injury in a, in a skiing accident, and devastated your pelvis and had difficulty walking. How did you become healed?
1: Well, okay. Originally, I got healed because I went to the trauma center in Foothills Hospital in Calgary, Alberta. So they bolted me back together, the orthopedic surgeons. And I was sort of okay. But I had this episodic recurring of pain. So some days I could ski and some days I would have to crawl to around the apartment to get to the bathroom. So it was really off off and on. So when we returned, the first return visit to the village, we went out on the tundra to find some reindeer for the grandmother. And coming back, I was muscling a snow machine that had gotten stuck in a creek, and I slipped and tweaked my pelvis, and I went into the bad stage, where now I'm lying, I'm in the middle of Siberia, I'm very, very far from Western medical attention, and I can't stand up. I'm lying in the snow, and I can't walk. I can't stand, so that sets it up, and then they took me on a sled, a snow machine, to the grandmother, and the grandmother has me take off all my clothes. She has me stand on one leg, put one arm behind my back, hold the other arm straight out. She spits on my pubic hair. She rubs me in seal fat and rabbit skin. And she asks Kutu, the raven god, to fly to the woman who lives on top of the highest mountain and to heal me.
2: And so how do you feel today?
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I feel wonderful. I'm healed. But you have to understand that the healing isn't the end of the book. If the healing was the end of the book, it wouldn't really be the story of the power that I think the story is. The healing is the beginning of the book. And a
2: big part of that is magic. Yeah. And and one of the things that you have said is that we basically embrace I want to make sure I put this exactly the way you have, at least least a paraphrase it well enough so that you can answer the following question. Now, you said that ancient people do adventures on purpose, to encourage vulnerability, to make themselves able to face reality in order to embrace magic. Right. (laughs) How do you do that? I mean, what's the process by which you become vulnerable, face reality, and find magic?
1: Okay. You know, magic is a little bit of a loaded word, and... In some ways, it's a dangerous word to use. We're not talking about sawing ladies in half or pulling rabbits out of the hat. What we're talking about is, in this magic sense, is really presence, what the Buddhists would call presence, which is this oneness with the universe, oneness with yourself, this total openness where you, everything is just in the moment, in this euphoric state of the moment. And then once you're in that euphoric state, once you're in the presence, and I'm not saying that, you know, I can snap my fingers and get there, but I'm saying if you're there, then everything is as it should be. So when you're comfortable, when you are trying to eliminate uncertainty and eliminate vulnerability, see, then you're going against the flow of the universe. See, then you need bulldozers and chainsaws and things like that. Because you've got to stop all this cosmic activity. And to do that, you need heavy metal, man. (laughs) And it's not going to work in the end, but you can temporarily slow it down. But
2: how does that impact your ability to have adventure? I mean,
1: right. But when you're going out on an adventure, you're powerless. You make yourself powerless. You put yourself out there where you don't have any bulldozers, and where you're vulnerable. And then, what is it? But you don't want to die. You, you really, really, really want to stay alive. So what keeps you alive? It's opening yourself up, not changing the world, but being in tune with it. And to be in tune with it, you open yourself up to everything that's happening. And when you're that open, you're in the presence.
2: And in a state of magic?
1: Yeah, and, and then the world is magical. Then the world is magical.
2: At the end of the day, what do you want people to come away with after having read your book and, and learning about your particular story?
1: Oh, thank you, James. That's a great question. I want them to realize that a spiritual connection with nature is at the center of our humanity. And if we realize that, if we realize the importance of that relationship with nature, then we will walk more softly on the planet. And we will realize that we don't have to justify everything economically. We can look at our lives more spiritually, and we can try to be more vulnerable more open to the environment, and put the bulldozers in the corner for when we really need them.
0: The Raven's Gift is published by St. Martin's Press. You can learn more about a scientist, a shaman, and their remarkable journey through the Siberian wilderness online at johnturk.net. For The Joy Chip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by Chad Ferran. The Joy Chair Project is made possible thanks to the support of our sponsor, Patagonia. Find out more about their conservation and new media initiatives on their website, cleanestline.com. Thanks for listening, but we hope to hear from you. Drop us a note with your questions, comments, or criticisms to info at joycheerproject.com or find us on Facebook. Until next time, take care.